All right, well, we're going to continue on with our series in John. We're going to turn to uh, John 11, and I'm going to read to you quite a few verses. In fact, I think it's 44, so you'll definitely get your Bible reading in for today, so that's good. Going through the book of John, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's very hard to just kind of take one or two scriptures, because if you just take one or two scriptures, then you're probably going to take them out of context because there's just so much conversation and John's sort of quite poetic almost and he goes from one thing to the next and he's very contextual and he adds in very obscure details, which is always fun. Okay. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother was now sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord in white his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, his sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he just stayed in where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in a daylight? Man walks by day and will not stumble, for he sees uh, by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. I have no idea what that means. Uh, I'm not talking on that, by the way. You can go and study that for yourselves. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I am going there to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. They're very practical, aren't they, these guys? And Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, yo, Lazarus is dead, guys, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you might believe, but let us go up to him. And Thomas said to him, let us go that we may die with him also. Okay, that's kind of weird. Um, so on his arrival, Jesus found Lazarus, and uh, he had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come out to Mary and Martha to comfort them. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise. But in the resurrection at the last day, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? A lot of beliefs in there. <laughs> yes, Lord, she said. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into this world. And after this, she had said this. She went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here. And so Mary has this conversation with Jesus, which plays out very, very similar. I'm going to jump down to chapter 33. And Jesus sees the scene and he says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Come and see, they replied. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in scripture. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man and kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was where the stone was laid, and he said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of uh, the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone 
Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you, you've heard me. I know you've always heard me, but I say this now for the benefit of all the people standing here that they may believe you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out. We finally got there. <laughs> See, he's very wordy, isn't he? He loves a lot of, lot of words. This is the last talk that we're going to be doing on the series in John. And up until this point, um, we've taken half of the book, basically. And we did like an introductory type of uh, message, two messages. And in there, sort of, uh, John uses these uh, seven titles for Jesus. And then what we get um, from chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 11 is seven signs that Jesus does. And these signs essentially culminate in this one sign, which is the raising of Lazarus. And it is arguably Jesus' greatest miracle. And um, after this miracle in the book, which is the halfway point, uh, there seems to be a turning point in the book, and there's no more any signs, there's um, no more I ams, or there, there may be in John chapter 15, but it's, anyway, there's no more signs, there's no more big sort of events. It sort of turns, Jesus enters Jerusalem uh, with the palms, Palm Sunday. He then ends up in an upper room uh, with his disciples. He shares the Last Supper, lots and lots of conversation, and then he's handed over to the Jews, and he's crucified. So this is sort of the last sort of big event or sign, you could say, in the life of Jesus, aside from, of course, his death, burial, and resurrection. So with that being said, let's get into the message. Father, we pray for your word. Pray to be a lamp to our feet, light unto our path. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're writing notes, um, you could maybe entitle this message something like this. I thought of it a few minutes ago, so maybe it works. Stuck in the waiting room. Stuck in the waiting room. Have you ever lost something before? I'm really bad at losing things. I'm shocking. I lose passports. I lose passports and planes. I lose my phone. Um, but I've gotten better in my old age. I'm, I'm, I'm much better now. I've, I've learned my lessons. But there was this one time where I lost something that was pretty important. And it was uh, in my first year of, of ministry, let's say. I had just taken a job at, at Hillsong London. And um, this was, I don't know, sort of... Uh, 10 years ago, let's say, okay? Um, and uh, in my first year at Hillsong London, I worked as uh, a lead pastor, Gary, um, as his PA or as his assistant or as his intern. And uh, it was sort of my experiential year of ministry, doing a lot of practical training, that sort of thing. And um, so in this year, one of the responsibilities that I was given was to look after um, his car. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, 23-year-old, this is, this is nice, I get a cool car in London, and I get to cruise it around, and I get to take it home with me, and then I get to pick him up, and I had to sort out his travel and figure out where he needed to be, when he needed to be places, and, and all of that. And so uh, it was my first week, actually, on the job. And because I hadn't really driven in London too much, I didn't really know the parking regulations. I was, I was a little naive when it came to that. And so this was the first week, I think it was a Thursday or something like that, um, I went to my friend's house after work, um, dropped Gary off, went to my friend's house and uh, parked up outside, had a look around, I thought, yeah, it seems pretty legit, it seems great. I mean, it was like 7 p.m. or something like that, so I was like, okay, this is, this is great. So parked up, went to my friend's house, we hung out, I don't know, until a few hours, came back out and um, the car was gone. And I was like, where's the car gone? And you know you have those moments sometimes where you're like, I swear, like, my brain is playing tricks on me. Like, I swear I left it here, but it's probably not here. I mean, I, I, I probably parked it somewhere else. 
So I went walking up the streets of Putney all over the place to try and find this car, which has just gone missing. It was so weird. And so anyway, I realized like something has happened to this car. It's either been stolen, it's either, I don't know, whatever. So I went back to my friend's house and I did what every person does in a tricky situation in life. I phoned a friend and my, my friend came out and uh, he helped me. Luckily, he knew some stuff about parking in London. So he checked the sign and he sort of said, okay, look, there's a technicality here. If you're parked here past a certain time or between these times, then there's a possibility that you will get towed. And so I realized that the car's probably been taken by someone. So we got on the blower, we got on the phone and we like searched out this lost car. We eventually found it like three, four in the morning. I had to hand him like 250 quid or something like that. Get the car back, turned up the next morning at Gary's house. He didn't even know. Don't tell <laughs> have you ever uh, Have you ever lost something before? I hate losing things. It's the worst, isn't it? You had it, and then it's gone. You're like, it's the worst feeling. Well, if you've ever lost something today, then I'm sure you'll be able to connect to what Mary and Martha are experiencing. They have their brother with them, doing life, things are good, and then all of a sudden he gets sick and he passes and they, they lose something very important to them. Have you ever lost something of significance like Mary and Martha? Maybe it wasn't so much Lazarus, but it was maybe your Lazarus was a dream. Maybe it was a promise. Maybe it was a, a vision for a better tomorrow. It could be any number of things. If you've, ever, if you've ever lost something of significance, like a promise, like a dream, like, like something you were, you were believing for, then, then you can connect with the narrative today of, of Mary and Martha and emotionally, I guess, connect, connect with what they were experiencing. Lazarus is sick and... They decide they're getting desperate. They decide to send a message to Jesus, and so they, Lord, comma, the one you love is sick. Send. They send this message off to Jesus. It's interesting because Lazarus was actually a really close friend of Jesus. Uh, they lived in a place called Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, just two miles. I mean, it's even close to Romford. It's literally just short itch up the road. You could jump on the train. You're there in a couple of stops. Two miles up the road. And so whenever Jesus and his disciples would go to Jerusalem for the feasts over his ministry uh, time, they would stay at the house of Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus would provide shelter for them. He would provide food. He would be their eyes and their ears. If anything got out of hand in Jerusalem, like the temple courts or whatever, Jesus had to slip out. He would slip, no doubt, back to Lazarus. Uh, Lazarus's house, stay there for a couple of days while it all blew over, and then headed back out to the Judean countryside. And so they were close. Lazarus was arguably Jesus' best friend on planet Earth at this time. He was very close with all of his disciples as well. But I find it fascinating in the way that Mary and Martha, they word this text. They don't say, hey, Lord, the one who loves you is sick. They say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Um, it sort of follows along the theme of John's gospel, doesn't it? John is not so much interested in talking um, so much about our love for God, but rather he is just so intent on expressing God's love for us. And it seems as though time 
and time and time again throughout this gospel account, even though way he speaks about himself in third person, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he says about Lazarus, hey, Lord, the one you love is sick. And so this is what Jesus does. He stays in Judea for two more days. He's like, let's order another round of that flatbread and hummus because that's really, really good. Really good. It just hangs. They send a desperate plea for help. And just Jesus responds. He just, he's like, cool. I'm going to put my feet up. We're going to tell stories all night with the disciples and we're going to laugh till 3 a.m. Then we're going to go to sleep and we're going to get up and we're going to pray and we're going to do the same thing all over again. Eat lots more flatbread and hummus. This is his response. Jesus doesn't do anything for two days. And then he decides after two days, all right, should we make a move, boys? Head down to uh, Bethany. The boys think, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Let's go. And so they mooch down to Bethany. They go through a little place called Jericho. At this place called Jericho, there's a crowd that sort of forms around Jesus and his disciples, they mob him. And uh, they're walking through the town, and this man called Bartimaeus starts calling out, Jesus, Jesus, would you heal me? And he's like, who's calling me? Okay, yeah, okay, you be healed. So he heals this guy, right, called Blind Bartimaeus, which is an amazing miracle, just on his way through Jericho. He, he comes at this road in Jericho, and he sees this wee little man called Zacchaeus. He's on a sycamore fig tree, right? And he's, he sees Zacchaeus, and he says, oh, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? I'm going to dine at your house tonight. And so he stops for a meal and a party at Zacchaeus' house in which Zacchaeus decides at that party that Jesus is the son of God and he gives over almost half his wealth to all the people he's wronged and then double over to anyone else. He's, I mean, this is an amazing thing. And then in the morning, he probably decides, okay, it's been, it's been four days. I mean, I probably should get on. So he, he, he gets on to Bethany. I mean, Jesus, he's not in a hurry. Jesus is taking his sweet time. Have you ever felt like that? Have your prayers ever felt like that? Like, like the message of Mary and Martha, Lord, the one you love is sick and we need you to turn up now. And God's like, puts his feet up and has some more flatbread and hummus. And you're thinking, what is going on? Have you ever felt like the, the heavens a radio silent? What do you do when you find yourself in the waiting room of life? What do you do when your messages are going out, when you seem to be crying out for help, and you go, oh God, I need you here, but there doesn't seem to be any answer. And Jesus is taking his sweet time. Now, he does actually give us an answer for why he takes his sweet time, which is interesting. He's, he says to his disciples, it is for your benefit that we were not there. Why is that? Well, let me put it like this. His disciples had been following him around for three years. This is sort of at the end of Jesus' ministry now. The disciples have seen all sorts of things. They've seen walking on water. They've seen lots of blind people receive their sight. They've seen lame people walk. They've seen, uh, they've seen all sorts of incredible, incredible signs and wonders. But Jesus 
sees that their faith is not yet perfected enough or complete enough, maybe in the way that he sees it. He, he knows that going to Jerusalem is almost certain death at this point. He knows that he is, in fact, he predicts that he is going to be crucified and resurrected before he goes to Bethany. So he knows he is on his way to his death. And he wants to, let's say, improve the faith of his disciples. He wants to supersize the faith of his disciples. Not only, not only the faith of his disciples, but the faith of many others in the area. Because if you can beat death, then surely you must be divine. We all face death, whether we're a prince or a pauper. No one has beaten death. So if you can beat death, it must be God, right? So he gives us this reason. He wants to deal with people's hearts. He wants to do a sign and then deal with people's hearts. But just because Jesus gives us a reason doesn't make it any easier for us, does it, when we're in the waiting room? Just because he was giving his disciples a reason didn't make it any easier for Mary and Martha when they were grieving the loss of their brother. So what do you do? What are you supposed to do in the waiting room of life when there seems to be radio silence from heaven? The promise is sick. The dream is dying. You're about to lose it. And you're crying out to God and you're saying, Jesus, I need you to turn up in this situation. And you get nothing. What do you do when you find yourself in the same scenario as Mary and Martha? And like many of the heroes of faith, like Abraham, like Moses, like David, of whom the writer of Hebrews said, all did not receive the promise fully in this life, but saw it at a distance. All found themselves in the waiting room of life, hoping Believing, waiting. God, are you going to turn up? Prayers going unanswered, it seems. What do you do when you find yourself stuck in the waiting room of life? You stay there. Like David said in Psalm 37, be still and wait patiently for the Lord. Have you ever heard the phrase, patience is a virtue? I reject that phrase in Jesus' name. I am shocking when it comes to patience. I mean, I am just horrible. I hate waiting in line. I hate, I mean, I couldn't believe when I came to this country how well you all line up. It's just a seventh wonder of the world. It's, 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 it's amazing. I mean, you go to any other country. I was in Europe just like a couple weeks ago. People don't line up. They just push in front of you. They shove you to the side. Americans budge past trying to get you past. And it's just so frustrating, isn't it? But I'm shocking with waiting. I'm shocking with being patient. And it's such an area that I need to grow in because I am horrible when I am in the waiting room of life. I hate waiting around. What do you do? when you find yourself in the waiting room of life, you stay there and be still and wait patiently for the Lord. Paul says it like this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, do not give up doing good. 
for at the right time you will reap a harvest. Do not give up while doing good, for you will reap a harvest. You're not going to give up. You're not going to give in. You're going to keep doing good. You're going to keep putting your hand to the plow. You're going to keep believing. You're going to keep hoping. You're going to keep stirring the aspiration of your faith towards God and know that he is good towards you. Amen? Jesus turns up at Bethany and Martha comes out and she's a mess. She's a wreck. Lord, why weren't you? You know, she's mad. She's basically mad that Jesus wasn't there when he needed to be there. He's taken his time, and now he's here. And she says, Lord, if you were only here, then this would not have happened. And Jesus responds by saying, Martha, did I not tell you that this will not end in death? Did I not tell you that you will see the glory of God? I love that phrase. Did I not tell you? When God says it, then that settles it. You know, we are hopelessly bad with keeping our word, but God is not. He is true to his word. If God says it, then that settles it. And I want to encourage you today, if you have a promise from God, whether it's God spoken to you individually, then hold on to that with everything that you got. If it's a word from the Bible, if you feel like, man, God spoke that to me, whatever it may be, or even if you don't feel like God spoke something to you, there's so many promises in this book that you can anchor your life to and say, if God said it, then that settles it. Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that you will see the glory of God? of God. She says, yeah, but God, I know. In the next life, you know, you're going to raise people in the next life. No, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Did I not tell you that you will see the glory of God if you believe? Do you believe that God is true to his word today? Come on, do you believe that God is true to his word? His promises are yes and amen. He will not forsake you. He is true to his word. If we do not give up doing good, if we continue believing, continue hoping, God is true to his word. So he says, show me the tomb. Where is it? And Mary and Martha reluctantly, they're like, here it is. It's a cave. It's a big stone rolled in front of the cave. And Jesus says something almost insensitive to Mary and Martha, but to many other people there. He says, roll away the stone. Mary and Martha are saying, Jesus, the guy's been dead for four days. It's going to be stinking. It's going to be awful in there. Please, can't you see? We just want to grieve. We just want to mourn this. We've got all these people here. They're comforting us. Please, don't make us do this. Jesus says, roll away the stone. It's a little bit like what I referred to last week in that when Jesus prayed for the bread and he gave it to his disciples, it was the disciples who distributed the bread, wasn't it? And the miracle was really in the hands of the disciples rather than in the hands of Jesus. The miracle happened in the hands of the disciples. And Jesus sort of gives a similar instruction here. He says, 
roll away the tomb. Open the door on that dead thing. It's not dead. It's not over unless I say it's over. So Mary and Martha rolled away the stone. Maybe that's a word for some of you today. Maybe you think that dream is dead. Maybe you think the promise is dead. Maybe you think that situation, the door has been closed on it for some time. And maybe God would say to you today, it's time to open that door. That dream that you gave up on. That promise that I gave you, that you thought was unfulfilled. It's not. I was just waiting for it to die so you could see my glory all over that thing. It's time to roll away the stone. And Jesus steps in and he speaks to the dead body of Lazarus. The same words that spoke into the void and the darkness at the beginning of creation that said, let there be light. It's the same voice and the same words that spoke to the dead body of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come out. There's power in his words, friends. There is great strength in his word. There's resurrection power in calling back dead things to life. I wonder if that's a word for you. I wonder if he's calling some things back to life. If he's calling a promise back to life. If he's calling a a dream back to life. You can rely on the promises of God today. You can rely on his word. What do you do when you find yourself stuck in the waiting room of life? Keep believing, keep hoping, keep hanging on to what God has for you because His promises are yes and amen. There is power in His name. There is power in His words. Amen. Let's close our eyes. Father, we, we just know, we know today that there is great strength and great power in who you are. God, we thank you that you're not a dead God. You're a risen Lord. We thank you for what you're doing even now in this moment. We thank you that you're um, raising dead things to life. God, there's power in your name. Thank you, Lord.